McShane Bible Study, day 140, and we're starting in Numbers 29. However, I just did want to say, I spent a few hours on the writing that yesterday I said I would put up about the spring holidays, and uh, I'm not prepared to release it yet. I've just run into some snags. I'm not totally comfortable with it yet. I don't know if I'll get to that, and certainly wouldn't be this morning. I don't know if I'll have time in the afternoon or not. Um... But I I will say the one thing that I found that I thought lent credence to the eye. I'm softening on my position about the possibility of uh, Passover falling on a Saturday, meaning that Shavuot or Pentecost, sorry, that uh, Feast of First Fruits is the next day. I still think that's probable, but I'm I'm softening on it as I'm seeking the Lord because uh, I, I, I just don't have certainty. I never heard any clear word from the Lord. It just seemed like things were lining up to that position. But it, usually when I get and I spend a few hours writing something that I want to share, the Lord confirms it in new ways as I'm writing it. Uh, that did not happen yesterday. So... I'm probably going to end up rewriting it. It's about a five-page document right now. And um, I'm probably going to just put out what I have because it's of some value. But I'm going to change all the language from, I believe this is the Lord (laughs) showing me this to, perhaps this is it. But the the main point of that was um, that, or or the, the main other than I think I already kind of shared, you know, the, the dreams my wife had, which were very powerful, two extremely meaningful dreams um, on that day, which is strong evidence to me that the Lord is showing that that was the holiday. But that is also the day that the people Israel were first entered the promised land under Joshua's leadership. And they ate of the grain of the land. Now that would be absolutely against the law unless it was Feast of First Fruits. Now many times in Israel's history they broke the law, but this was a time during Israel's history where they were keeping the law absolutely. Um, They had just suffered many things. All the old generation who refused to follow the law had died off. And then, what is it, maybe a week later or something, you had Achan who did something he wasn't supposed to do, and the Lord caused uh, many Israelites to die because of it, and he was stoned to death. So, this was a time when the Lord was keeping them very righteous and law-upholding. And they ate of the fruit of the land, and the Lord blessed it. That's a pretty strong indication to me that that was Feast of First Fruits. And then that would have been the High Holy Day, the first day of unleavened bread. And so that's a pretty strong indicator. But I'm going to, I'm going to, unless the Lord, oh, you know what? I just remembered as I was going to bed, I asked for a scripture and he gave me one and I forgot to look that up this morning. So I, I, as I have time, I'll continue with that. But uh, for now, it's, it's not getting released as a written word. Today in Numbers 29, um, it's, it's about the offerings, that, the food offerings that accompany the fall feasts. Feast of Trumpets, 
and the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths, or Feast of Tabernacles. And the only thing that stood out to me, it's a, it's a lot of repetitive, you'll offer this animal, and this drink offering, etc., grain offering. But it, it stands out to me, if you count, as the Bible, as, as, as Moses did, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as separate holidays, then that's a one-day holiday and a seven-day holiday with another one-day holiday in there somewhere, which we just discussed. Then that makes the Feast of Booths, or Feast of Tabernacles, the only eight-day holiday. Well, the number eight talks about new beginnings. That's kind of the meaning for that in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. It's a new beginning after the seven-day period. Verse 35 says, On the eighth day you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. So, uh, it the eighth day is a holiday to the Lord. We know that booths or tabernacles represents God with his people. They are one separated from the world with his with God and he is with them, providing for them in every way, right? It's a powerful, powerful image. And that is the holiday that, that Zechariah says one day everyone will worship the Lord. And and so, you know, that the, the, these fall holidays have yet to be fulfilled. And that's certainly always a, a, a time of the season that I look forward to. But New Beginnings shows God is redoing the world. Like he's rolling up the old thing and he's doing a new thing, right? He's doing, again, somewhat similar, although different, from what he offered to Adam and Eve, which they rejected, right? Jesus has made the way into this, but a people have to come into fulfillment with this. And so I think it's kind of cool. It's the only eight-day holiday. And then we are moving to Psalm 73, and this is of Asaph. And uh, starting in verse 11, it says, And they say, How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? But these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. So he's just gotten through talking about people who just live for themselves. They live in wickedness, not for the Lord. <clears throat> and then he, then he compares himself in 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So he says, I'm going through difficulty by worshiping you, Lord, and keeping myself clean. 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me as a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. So he said, it seems kind of tiring to always be worshiping the Lord, right? He says, but then I came into your presence, God, and you gave me understanding of what's going to happen to these people who don't seek your face, right? Uh-huh. And I knew they have really bad things ahead of them. And he sums it up in the last two verses, 27. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So he's receiving the blessing of coming near to the Lord. And now he's one who can give this blessing to others. And then we're at Isaiah 21. And uh, 
I don't have a lot to say. That This is mostly about a prophecy against Babylon falling, which, of course, Babylon was the country God used to conquer uh, Judah, people of God. Uh, and then and then the people of God took refuge. And when they went, he told them, hey, be at peace, because they kept thinking, God's going to restore us any day now. Like, it's just real quick, he's going to restore us. Because I mean, even Moses had talked about this. Like, if you turn away from God, he will, he will have another nation conquer you, pull you out of that country. But if you turn back to him, then he will restore you, right? And then it actually happened. And then, I don't know if it's for that reason or whatever, um, Ezekiel dealt with this a lot. Ezekiel was around the same time as, he's pretty much the same time as Jeremiah, at least they overlapped. But he was living in um, Persia, or Babylon, excuse me, when uh, when Jeremiah was still in Jerusalem. And he kept having to tell people, no, you're not going back soon. It's not going to happen. And he's and so, you know, God told the people, just, you know, pray. Pray for the your kings who are above you. And just live your life unto the Lord there where you are. And then later, which is 70 years, although it happened over a couple decades, um, he brought the people back, right? But Babylon was conquered by the Persians and the Medes. Mm -hmm. So so this did happen. But it it also should make us aware that in Revelation, we see uh, prophecy against Babylon falling again, right? Mm -hmm. So we see a picture of the church that lives for its own purposes, its own self, who ignores the will of God and the way of God, which is separate from the church we see. There's, uh, you know, another church woman in Revelation 12, which is different. But this, so we see kind of two churches, just as Israel and Judah were two women. God calls his wives. We see the same thing here. And so we can compare this to Revelation, the prophecies against Revelation. You see that... uh, in Revelation, the woman is riding the beast, and the the beast represents the the multiple countries, and there's a couple beasts. And anyways, we'll get into that in Revelation probably. Weston and I have been talking for a while, and I just thought, well, I should be recording this. So we're a little bit of a middle of a conversation, but uh, Peter in Second Peter two is talking a lot about false prophets and teachers, people who. Are, are more concerned about their own position in life, whether it's their, their own pride of who they are or the pressure to deliver in order, maybe if these guys are traveling around, they want to get money from people. Or it could, it could be a various reasons, and it still happens today, where people have this pressure to deliver stuff. But also some that want to build themselves up, and they just they grab hold of worldly ideas, and they attach the name of Christ to them. And so Peter is just going on and on about how evil that is. And one, the example I was about to make, Weston, is we just read about Balaam. And when you read those chapters, he is clearly hearing from the Lord and he's clearly obeying in many instances. Mm-hmm. Yet he, he didn't, he should have just stayed home the first time, right? Mm-hmm. But he kept on with it. He kept on. He wanted to get paid. He wanted to have the Lord and the world. And Peter calls him evil here and says he is judged in hell for it. 
And he, he mentions many other people. And he says, look, if, if God has judged all these others, he mentions angels, he mentions Noah. Um, he says, if he's judged all these others, why, won't, why do you think he will not judge you? Verse 20 says, in 20 and 21, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. That's pretty powerful, right? He, they clearly He's talking about people who have lost their salvation. They knew the Lord. They were walking in the Lord. And then they got entangled with sin in the world. And they went another way. And it, he says it would have better for them to never have known the Lord than the way they're going. The judgment is more severe on them. Mm-hmm. For one, that argues with the position of most of the church. But secondly, it's a serious word that, like, we should take the Lord seriously. We should realize He is holy. And when we approach Him, even here, sitting, sitting here together, when we approach the Lord, it is a holy thing. It is a fearful thing, right? Uh. That... We are grabbing hold of a little bit of his knowledge, a little bit of his life. But that doesn't make us full of all of it. And so we should approach him with fear and trembling that we truly know him, we're truly right with him, and that when we represent him, we represent him correctly. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty much all I have for today. Do you have anything else? No. God right. bless you. The Lord bless you.